exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God, this is the Cumberland Road. I'm your host, TJ Milanowski. Today's guest is George C. Ladd. George is the stated clerk of Columbia Presbytery in Tennessee. He is a member of Swan Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Hickman County. And he is also the spouse of Reverend Sherry Ladd. In today's episode of Cumberland Road, George talks about being a religious hybrid. And over the course of his years, exploring many spiritual paths that have led him to the Christian faith. He believes that we are all called to use our gifts and talents in service to God. Let's listen as George joins me via Zoom from the historic Masonic Lodge in Franklin, Tennessee. Hello, George Ladd. Thank you for joining me. Hello. George, I appreciate your time and sharing. Now, do you want to just briefly say who you are and introduce yourself? You want me to do that later? Well, I can say that I am George Ladd. I am currently the stated clerk of Columbia Presbytery, and I am married to Reverend Sherry Whitaker Ladd, who pastors the Swan and Santa Fe Cumberland Presbyterian Churches, and that's me. All right. All right, thank you, George. Um, let's talk about an early experience, an early encounter with God. Do you have one? I was thinking about my very first encounter of God, and I remember having a, a dream when I was about four or five years old, and there was some kind of threat And this figure showed up and made the threat disappear. It was a male in a white robe, and it was kind of a little bit like a cartoon figure. It was an outline drawing. It wasn't like I was looking at a a, a person, but it was a white robe figure. Seemed like he had a small beard, and it was... uh, it was a man, and that was a dream I had four or five years old, and uh, I'd have to say that was my first personal, I don't know if it was a genuine encounter, but it was a dream I had about God. So you, at that moment, or at the moment of awakening, attributed that presence to God? Uh, yeah, I, at the age of four or five, I assume that's who it was, yeah. <laughs> well, good grief, that's pretty earth-shaking to to experience that and, and obviously to remember it this many years later to be able to connect that too. So let, let's move forward a little bit. So you had that uh, encounter at a very young age. What other happenings have shaped your faith? Well... The challenges that confront uh, the youngest child away from home for the first time with all the freedoms that that provides and the opportunities to make bad decisions. (laughs) But uh, 
rebounding from those those bad decisions for me it wasn't a sudden come to jesus moment it was a process mm. and i had the opportunity to study religion in in college and uh Another influence, as I look back on it, is uh, I was made aware of Ram Dass, if you know who he is. Uh, Dr. Richard Alpert worked with Timothy Leary in their researches on uh, LSD at Harvard back in the 50s, and then uh, they all got fired. And uh, Richard Alpert went to India, found a guru, and became Ram Dass. And uh, he wrote a book called Be Here Now, which was very creative, uh, had a lot of art and comic art in it. Uh, but uh, the thing he uh, focused on was the importance of, uh, of mindfulness, the importance of the present moment. And uh, the fact that there is God, the fact that you can have a connection to him, the fact that our actions matter, the fact that karma, the results of your actions, you reap what you sow. Um, I began to comprehend those teachings and that lesson, albeit from a non-Christian source, uh, truth and wisdom are universal. So you got a hold of this book. Were you still in college? Uh, yes, yes. And uh, I, I, I suppose, as they say, even a blind hog founds an acorn in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you go to school at, George? <laughs> well, I started out at uh, Rice University. Was... Uh, infected with a motivational syndrome in my sophomore year and uh, transferred to the University of Texas at Austin for a year and uh, uh, decided that uh, I needed to to save my parents money paying for tuition so at that point I transferred to the University of Tennessee at Knoxville from which I graduated okay now, are you originally from Texas or from Tennessee? No, uh, my brother uh, graduated from Rice University, so that's what put the thought uh, the thought in my mind. And I wanted to go to the best university that I could get admitted to, and I got admitted to Rice, so so I went there, started there. Uh, what school did you find this book at? that got you thinking more deeply about your faith? Uh, somewhere between Rice and Texas. I okay. think I might, might, have been, might have been at the University of Texas when I got that one. All right. So from there, from the book, you said the blind hog occasionally finds the acorn. How did that acorn begin to grow from there? Well... I, I guess it put the desire in me to uh, to, low, to 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 know more and to pursue more, and probably to pursue more of Eastern religion and uh, philosophy. 
as uh, as I told you previously, I uh, I was majoring in computer science at the University of Tennessee, and I would have been required to uh, take differential equations. I had to have a year of that in order to uh, to get that degree in computer science, and I saw that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> now, uh, Tennessee had this nice feature back then where you could cop out from learning a foreign language. You could study the culture of a place instead of the language. So I was doing ancient Mediterranean culture in lieu of Greek and Latin, which uh, uh, I had uh, taken some uh, religious studies courses in the course of that, ancient Mediterranean religion. We studied uh, religion of Egypt and, uh, and Mesopotamia. And I thought, well, gee, I can leverage these courses, get a major in religious studies, get out of here, get a job with a minor in computer science and, and uh, get out of college fast. Mm. So, but I can also learn the collected wisdom of the world, the most important wisdom teachings in the world that will have made it into the religions of the world. So I, so I changed my major to religious studies and I studied uh, Eastern religion. And one of the most important things I took away from that is uh, a work uh, in Hinduism called the Advaita Vedanta. It's like one of the most advanced works on philosophy that they have. And in there they say, Atman is Brahman, which means that the inner self, the core self, is has a connection with God. And this is one of my core beliefs. Every one of us is a creation of God. We have a connection to God. We are an emanation of God. Um, as Rabbi, uh, I can't remember the name of the author of God is a verb, but his point is that God is a verb, not a noun, because God is emanating the world we see at all times. Hmm. And God is more a verb than a noun. And I really like that. And so um, those studies uh, uh, planted that thought that has grown in me over my years. Uh, it was also a blessing to study uh, the history of uh, Israel and how Judaism came to be. And in later years, I would come back to that in the, in the, the Masonic degrees that talk about the building of the second temple and whatnot. And uh, so I didn't know foundations were being laid at that time, but foundations were being laid at that time. <laughs> so really, even at an early age, young adult, you had this desire of seeking and exploring faith, not only for yourself, but faith in others historically and, and, and currently through the books that you read, seeking for understanding and depth. I'm putting words in your mouth, but this is yeah. what I'm gathering. I think I wanted to know metaphysically how the world worked. 
Mm. Uh, spiritually, how the world worked. So uh, I studied a variety of paths and uh, Christianity works uh, extremely well <laughs> for the individual. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. With this exploration and this knowledge and this study, what brought you to the Christian faith? What makes it stand out for you above all the other organized religions? Prayer and the Holy Spirit. Now, prayer is present in, in other religions. What helps make those two things distinctive and meaningful for you? The image of God as Father, who has a filial love for his son, and I apologize, I don't know the Latin equivalent of filial for the, the ladies, they're God's daughters, but uh, Jesus and Christianity teaches the love of God is like the love of your own loving parent. Uh, the, 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 the person who raised you, the person who you look to for, for parental affection. Uh, and, and I say it like that because I know there's people out there who didn't have good childhoods didn't have loving mother and father like I did, but um, the fact that Jesus was uh, thought ill of because he said Abba for father, that he was, he used that close affectionate a term. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that uh, sets us apart. And uh, the, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, seeking the Holy Spirit, seeking to be guided by the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit. I can't speak for others. Uh, well, that's what's kept me, that's what makes me a Christian right now. And I, 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 I would think all the most of all the other good Christians I know have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I think it is, uh, I think we have a principle here. And whereas other religions, well, uh, <laughs> in Nashville for a time, uh, I, I was invited to do a meditation class at the uh, Theravada Buddhist temple. In East, it was in East Nashville at that time. Uh, Theravada Buddhists, there, there was, you know, your, your Vietnamese immigrants, your Laotian immigrants, so they would go to that temple, which happened to be in an old church. And so they were doing a, a, a meditation class there. And the people in the meditation class were all uh, American white people. And so it was a festival date and the, uh, the, the immigrants were there for that festival date and, and, and observing the festival date. And 
it, it struck me that it was the Americans that wanted to learn how to meditate, but uh, the, the others just seemed to, if I do this, good things will happen. And if I show up on this date, good things will happen, as opposed to being engaged and wanting to learn the practices. And I'm probably being too judgmental and, and uh, they're probably not all like that, but, uh, but that was the impression I got that why aren't uh, Laotians and Vietnamese in here learning meditation from this monk like us? Hmm. So what did you take from that? What, from that meditation class? What did, I, what did I take forward from it? Yeah, we were talking about kind of the distinctions between uh, maybe, you know, the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and then the, the meditation course. Well, mindfulness is a good thing. And I think Christians, uh, if a Christian practices mindfulness, that's a good thing. If a Christian learns to meditate and watch his or her breath, and become aware of what's going on. That's a good thing. I need to do more of that <laughs> because I'm distracted all the time. I'm all the time worrying about uh, uh, getting the minutes out and worrying about preparing for the next meeting and all the all the little things. and And I need to be I need to be uh, uh, preparing a, a dish for supper and things and that needs to be where my mind is, but it's not, it's distracted. So, so yeah, it's good to practice mindfulness and, and meditation, but uh, ultimately that's not the same as uh, praying to your creator. Uh, I, I, I guess there's more to it than just mindfulness and awareness. Mm -hmm more to it than just mindfulness and awareness. Buddha says that'll help you get enlightened, just to be mindful and aware and present all the time. And But uh, me, I want to plug into the Holy Spirit and find out what God wants me to do mm -hmm. while I'm being mindful, <laughs> as mindful <laughs> as I can be. You brought it all the way back around. <laughs> This is really fascinating because, you know, he, I've known you for 10 plus years. We've never had these conversations before. And so I didn't know this about your faith journey. So I am just soaking this up. I'm just going, wow, maybe I, I didn't know your background. I didn't know your faith journey. Um, I've just known you in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church and in settings of a meeting. <laughs> So this is really neat. So let's talk for a few minutes about um, some of the individuals that have had a great impact on your Christian faith journey. I know you've alluded to the study and the practices in some, some books that you've read. Let's talk about some individuals that have helped shape your Christian faith. Well, uh, primary is uh, Reverend Sherry Ladd. I, uh, I I feel like a little bit of seminary rubbed off on me as I watched her. Not much, just just a little fragment. You know how dust can can uh, kick up and and land on somebody. But uh, 
I watched her uh, journey through uh, seminary and uh, well, Sherry and I have journeyed together since 1982. We met uh, in, a, in a house church and uh, we became uh, Episcopals in 1987. And then uh, I built a, we built a house uh, on some land my father gave me near where I grew up. And so we moved to Columbia or to the Columbia area in 1990. And uh, uh, Sherry uh, was raised Church of Christ and went to the local Church of Christ for a while and that, that wasn't that wasn't working. And so uh, she went to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, which happened to be the church my grandmother belonged to. Hmm. And uh, she got involved in that, uh, started uh, printing the bulletins for them. They were paying to have them printed. She said, I can do that, printed the bulletin, started teaching Sunday school. And uh, I guess they liked her Sunday school teaching so much, they made her an elder. Now, at that time, I, uh, we had obviously, we had stopped going to the Episcopal Church, and so I was uh, focusing more on uh, Buddhist practices, Buddhist meditation myself. But anyway, she gets more and more involved in the church. She goes to, uh, she was a commissioner to General Assembly when it was out in West Texas sometime in the, in the late 90s. So uh, she's doing that, and, but I'm practicing my Buddhism and things. And, and we, we took a vacation to Scotland, I took a vacation to Scotland. And uh, we're staying in Edinburgh and this man from South Africa uh, brings up the topic of Freemasonry. And I said, well, I've been fascinated by Freemasonry all my life. And he said, well, let me take you to Rosslyn Chapel. So we went to Rosslyn Chapel and things, talked about Masonry. And Sherry uh, encouraged me to join the, the local Masonic Lodge. So I did that there in Santa Fe. Went through the three degrees of Masonry. And and uh, I said to myself, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to uh, be involved in these degrees, I need to fully appreciate the biblical scriptures that they're based on and the Old Testament history that they're based on things. So I'm going to I'm going to go to church with Sherry and uh, and and deepen and reignite and deepen my understanding of these things. So so I went to that Santa Fe church and I started saying, you know, if I can make a habit of this, if I can go every Sunday for two months, I won't join this church. <laughs> so so I did that and uh, joined the church in late uh, 2000. And come to find out, uh, Sherry had a call to the ministry, which she said to the Lord, how can I be a minister when my husband doesn't go to church? Hmm. So 
when I, when I found that out, things came together and I saw what my calling was. My calling was to support her calling. Mm -hmm. So that's a really long way of saying that Sherry has been my spiritual advisor and guide. Sherry has an intuition that is second to none. If Sherry has an intuitive feeling, if I don't do what that intuitive feeling is, I always regret it <laughs> because it is spot on. I, I feel like she has a, a connection to the Holy Spirit and, uh, I'm fortunate to be fed by her sermons uh, every every Sunday. I it was uh, it was a joy to go with her all over uh, well to Mississippi and West Tennessee and Alabama, different churches. She would fill in as she was going through seminary, learning learning to preach, watching her develop as a speaker. Now she's an outstanding speaker and, uh, and, and, and minister. And she is my, uh, uh, primary spiritual guide. I get it. All right. So your faith is deepening as Sherry grows also in preparation for the ministry. Yes. That's pretty amazing. So, so during that time, uh, I get made a deacon at the Santa Fe Church. Then I get made an elder at the Santa Fe Church. You know, uh, Reverend Charlie Seaton was the pastor when I joined the church. And then he, uh, uh, he, he died unexpectedly. And uh, I had just learned how to do the Masonic funeral service, and I got to do his uh, his Masonic uh, funeral because he was a member of the Santa Fe Lodge. Then uh, Keith Johnson uh, became the pastor at Santa Fe. Keith is a Methodist now, but he was good. Uh, he was a good pastor, and he gave me uh, the basic Christian practice, which is read the Bible study the Bible and pray, uh, read and study the Bible so that you can, will know what a Christian is to do, how a Christian is to behave and pray. Um, and that's the Christian practice. Keith also took a series of Sundays and went through the confession of faith, uh, section by section. And so that was good, uh, orientation of uh, building my foundation and things. Mm -hmm. Another influence that uh, I mentioned to you before is uh, back when I was in college at the University of Tennessee, an instructor I had named uh, Dr. David Dungan, Harvard educated professor. He taught a course called Images of Jesus in which we got to study <clears throat> the progression of the portrayal of Jesus in art and, and literature through the ages, beginning from uh, Jesus's portrayal as king to Jesus's portrayal as suffering in the, the Middle Ages to the Enlightenment Jesus and so forth down to our own 
skeptical age. And uh, that was a fascinating course. And uh, I think uh, Dr. Dungan was a uh, great influence uh, on me. It was, it was, was a great influence on how we, how cultures see themselves in Jesus and how cultures see Jesus as a part of their culture. That can get kind of blurry at times, historically. Yes. So as I then progressed as a Cumberland Presbyterian, uh, I start going to Presbytery with Sherry, every meeting of Presbytery, and started on the uh, pastoral care committee and spent uh, nine years on that uh, on that committee. But uh, I got to know uh, Reverend Bill Roman, Reverend Larry Guin, um, Reverend John Etherly, he was a PAS graduate, but uh, getting to hang out with the senior ministers of the Presbytery and benefit from their their knowledge and their stories uh, has been a blessing to me Mm -hmm. and has no doubt contributed to my my faith and my understanding. and, and whatnot. And, and now that I'm the clerk of the Presbytery, I get by with a little help from my friends. <laughs> yeah. So you are the stated clerk of Columbia Presbytery. You serve on a couple of boards or committees within the Presbytery, one of those being a new church development. And you're active in really two different congregations, right? Yeah. Santa, Santa Fe, and what is the other one? I even asked you before we started recording. Swan. Swan. Okay. Both of those Cumberland Presbyterian churches. So with all, all those um, opportunities for leadership, George, where do you see God working in your life? How would you describe that to someone, <laughs> someone else that you encounter? Uh, well, you're... Ideally, everybody is created to be the hands and feet of Christ on this earth. First, you have to come to Christ, accept him as your savior. You learn and follow his, his teachings. And when, when, you, when you have a, a decent foundation, you're called to be his hands and feet. When... Uh, uh, when God puts something before you that you have the ability to do, uh, I, I think you do it. Mm. And uh, when you get asked to uh, do something, I mean, sometimes you get your plate full and you can't do uh, do everything. And I think Sherry will tell you my plate was full. My plate was full uh, six or eight years ago, but. Uh, uh, but it's uh, things I think I have the ability to do. People and, and my Christian brothers or my Masonic brothers and sisters ask me to do it. And if I've got, if I think I've got the ability to do it, I'll, I'll say, and the 
time to do it, I'll say yes. I, I see, uh, you know, working alongside you, new church development. I see God working in your life as an example. And these have been in more official settings, but, uh, you know, as an example and the openness of trying new things, especially when it comes to new church development. That's something I've I've admired about you is and seeing God working through your life is, OK, let's give it a go. And, and I think that does leave room for what you mentioned earlier for the movements of the Holy Spirit, as a, as opposed to being kind of closed and the parameters are clearly drawn. Um, I've always appreciated your your openness to the workings of God, to the workings of the Holy Spirit. That's something that I've noticed in, in you and I've appreciated. Well, looking beyond yourself, George, where out in the world do you see God working in the world today? Sherry has made me aware that uh, the gospel is being spread in creative ways in places that are hostile to Christianity. She talks about how they, uh, somebody will take an iPod and give it to somebody. And anybody looking at that would think there's music on it when in fact there's the God translation of the gospel on it. Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So with uh, internet and technology advancing to where it is, there are creative ways that the gospel is being spread. I think that uh, God is challenging us to maintain his creation now that we have mastered using it and transforming it for our desires and comfort. Um, created in his image, we have the ability to create. We have now that we understand more and more of his laws and how to transform the resources of our creation into things that we need and enjoy and make modern life possible, there's a stewardship that goes with that. And uh, I think God is going to, I fear God is going to confront us with the need to be proper stewards of his creation. That will be a big transformation for a lot of us. <laughs> we may be transformed yet again, born yet again. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and what, what uh, uh, I see how he uh, transformed the people of ancient Israel uh, who, uh, after centuries of second chances, uh, just would not act right. So uh, they lost the first temple and got sent into exile. I, I, I hope we don't need that tough of a love that way. <laughs> to shape us in the stewards that we're called to be. <laughs> well, let's hone down um, our conversation to specifically the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And George, I'm really interested to know what ideas do you have for this church that you serve and that you love? 
where would you like it to be in the future? We are going to have to figure out how to evangelize to the millennial and younger community. Uh, surveys are showing that those, many of those folks consider themselves spiritual but not religious. We're going to need to find a way to communicate to them the value of worship and the value of community and the value of worshiping in community. Hmm. Now, I don't know if all worship's going to be online in 50 years, if that's going to be the primary way that you worship on Sunday, I would sort of uh, hope not, but uh, because one of my joys of the week is getting to come together with other Christians and thank God for the wonderful blessings that he has given me and to express that by singing the hymns and praying and participating in corporate worship. And we've got to figure out a way to show the youngest folks that this has value. Now, when I was their age, I didn't appreciate it any more than they did. <laughs> I wasn't going to church then. But, uh, but worship has value and community has value. And we need to find a way to communicate that. And if we can succeed, we should have no uh, concerns about our future. Yeah, the Christian worship, Christian community is unique. And I think we can show not just one particular age group, but anyone, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, that this is a community that is unique. And this is a worship that is unique because it's, it's embraced in love and it's an offering and it can include others. Even if you don't know the elements of what that worship looks like, there's a, there's an openness there for the neighbor sitting next to you. Or close to you, I'd be glad to, to nudge you and kind of help guide. So it, it's a place to learn. It's a place to grow. And I think it has an appeal, not in a way that's an attractive, like consumerism, but it can fill another person's life in ways that other areas and other activities cannot. And that's what makes it a unique offering to me, I think, our Christian community and our Christian worship. And that oneness that comes with it. That's a great challenge, George, of sharing that good news and showing what worship and Christian community can look like with a generation that we are not a part of. It's a, it's a great challenge, but look at the different places and in, in here in your faith journey of where you, <laughs> where you drew closer to the Christian faith and in unique ways. Pretty fascinating. I did not know about that about you. Any other ideas, dreams that you have specifically for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church? Well, I have, uh, 
high hopes for the work that uh, you and uh, Johan Daza have done on uh, worshiping community. And as we come out of the pandemic, I'll be interested to see uh, where that goes. I, I think it may blossom into uh, vehicles that can bring folks to Christ that aren't ready for full-on church but are ready for uh, a worshiping community. Yeah, I may feel much more comfortable being invited to your home for study, for meal, for prayer, for fellowship, for worship, than I ever would be in the context of an auditorium, a sanctuary, a large room. And even the invite in and of itself is very different. And uh, I think worshiping communities make that distinctive. And, and their purposes are distinctive as well. That's another conversation that I want to take away from, from your faith journey. But thank you. Thank you. George, how can we continue to follow you on your faith journey? Well, I am uh, inactive on Facebook, so you can follow me vicariously by following Reverend Sherry Ladd on her Facebook page. She's going to filter. And, uh, filter. <laughs> <laughs> Reaching out to George Ladd. <laughs> and... Uh, you can follow uh, Columbia Presbytery at uh, our website, columbiapresbytery.org. Okay. And you've been the clerk for how many years now? The clerk of? Columbia Presbytery. Stated clerk? Let's see. I have been the clerk for uh, point, 0. 0.4 years. I started, <laughs> at, started in January. Okay. Oh, okay. So before you were the associate? I was the assistant clerk uh, okay. for three right. years uh, prior prior to that, yes. Okay, all right. Learning learning the ropes. All right, congratulations. From, from one of the best, Reverend Dr. Roger Reed, very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, George. Very knowledgeable clerk. George, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for um, opening up your life to me. I got to learn more about you and be amazed how God is working through your life um, and has been for a long time. And uh, I appreciate it, George. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me to be on. And uh, I have uh, really enjoyed these podcasts and uh, learning, uh, learning more about folks that I know and uh, folks that I don't know. Uh, this is uh, this has been helpful to me, and I appreciate your efforts with this. All right. George, thank you. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with us on a next journey down Cumberland Road. Mm-hmm.